0: Welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana, coming out of New York City, the the home of skyscrapers. Oh God, and the home of COVID <laughs> and the home of everything right now. Hopefully, soon will be over. But on a brighter note, the home of some great moments in disco, and we had Studio Fifty Four, Paris Garage, and all these great clubs, and of course. We shift our energies over to the United Kingdom to London to speak to a wonderful record producer DJ who is so accomplished. People have tried to copy his style as part of the Junior Boys own, you know, club of guys. Incredible DJ, incredible producer. One of our favorite records of all times, that damn Black Science Orchestra that rocked us every time on the dance floor. We have played. Like, Oh, my God, when he took that part, wherever you, ooh, man, he turned it out. But let me tell you, he's got a big story, okay? And he's going to tell it to you. So first, I want to introduce, let me bring him up, Mr. Hello. Beatle. Hello, Lenny. (laughs) Okay, welcome to True Out Stories. Thank you for doing it, of course. You know, want to see, make sure you're okay. I know you guys have, everybody's been on a complete and unadulterated
1: lockdown. Yeah, total lockdown.
0: Tell us what's that like, you know, because American people are watching this too. We've still had kind of our freedom. We only had that 90-day lockdown between March of last year till about end of May. But then, as you all watch the news reports, everything got crazy over the United States. The number's had gotten out of control, but how's it been for you all?
1: Um, well, it's been it's been an ordeal. I mean, in the sense that, in one way, um, we haven't been able to um, integrate and hang out and you know be with friends, but in another way, we've been allowed to um, develop our craft indoors i.e. you know, with the music and learning about stuff and it's been um a creative house arrest is the best description. <laughs> force major, as they say. You have yeah. to work course yeah, major, exactly. Majeure, right? uh, well, um, Nature clothes That one, right? Okay. But um, you know, from being indoors, you know, I've been, been really, really busy um, with Joe, with my other partner, Darren Morris, um, with the North Street West productions and the Ram Rock Records labels and also the F-Star Clear uh, record labels, which is the house label. And then, lo and behold as well, um, a couple of months ago, saw The Resurgence and the brand new the curtains fell apart and we have the black science orchestra um, which is myself oh, my um, I know. Yeah. yeah which is myself rob right. mello right. and Morris.
0: a little bit because that's going to take us away from the track of the story yes we're going to got to get to it. let's work to, let's work to that direction but you're healthy thank god both of you are still pounding the pavement inside your house
1: <laughs> you do. We well, we'll we'll pop out to the shops now and again, <laughs>
0: out, like, like, like groundhog. Look outside, it's clear. Run to the shop. Run back in. Put the packages away. Okay,
1: that's it. Everybody
0: wants to know always how we start. Same way, same channel, same time. Except each story changes because the person driving the car is their story, and this is what makes this show what this show is becoming a documentary type of institutionalized type of show it's crazy it's something that i just did you know just for people to watch and talk like having a phone call with friends has become where we're actually they're listening to everything we're talking about and learning people are writing fan mail they're learning stuff okay so ashley how does music find the young ashley you know from that he was before he was actually being the dj and all
1: that um I think I, you could describe me when I was young uh if I was looking at myself um I was I was inquisitive um and basically my my father god bless him he's not here anymore but it was for my father's uh uh record collection and without that record collection let's just say that I wouldn't be here today you know because it was a vast library of God knows what, you know. I always say to people, oh, it's like, if you can imagine listening to Bark to Big Youth, that was kind of where my record collection with my dad was, you know, uh, and still is in my head, you know. It's still there. And it's kind of the way I look at records is exactly the same. The way I look at music, I just don't, I can't really sit there and go, oh, this is genre Pacific. You do to a certain degree, but to me, it's that thing. It's good music, it's bad music, end of story, you know. Whether it's old, whether it's new, it doesn't really matter. So for me, the joy of growing up with my father and my mum, you know, was listening to uh, a completely wide array of music, you know, be it rock, soul, jazz, reggae, everything you know it's wonderful
0: so and we're talking about at the time when this record collection was beginning for you let's hear some of these tracks that you remember from that time what would be some of the ones that are the standouts that you were collecting
1: wow I think I think well the, the the one big track that I've always I've always kind of remembered was um, it was by Alton Ellis who was uh, who became uh, who was a fantastic, legendary reggae singer. But he put out a record called Alton and Eddie, and it was on the Blue Beat, le- Blue Beat record label, which is the British sort of ska label, and the track was called Muriel. And that l- lives with me till now. It's a beautiful ballad. absolutely beautiful ballad, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I used to see my mum and dad dance into it. Wow. Um, at, at the at the house parties, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just and it, it's stuck with me ever yeah. since. It's such a beautiful record; it really is.
0: So, so now that I'm hearing this ethnicity of reggae. I'm going to guess
1: that you have Jamaican. No, actually, no. Oh, my, I, I, my father, my father was, um, my father was from. He was English. And he was brought up in an area called um, Abbots Langley in Hertfordshire, which is just outside of London. And my mum came over to the UK in 1960, and she was from Barbados.
0: Oh, okay, Barbadian English. Yeah. Ah. Oh,
1: she is from Barbados, yeah. Classic. So Barbados, classic yeah. Mr. Beatle, very classic. Yeah, and uh, they, and they, they had a – it's very interesting that my mother and father, when they met, um, my dad was working in the local hospital near where he lived called Leavesden Hospital, and my mum flew in from Barbados and literally went straight to the hospital to work as a nurse at a very young age. I think she was 19, um, and my mum and dad met, and lo and behold, I appeared a year later. <laughs> <laughs> By magic. <laughs> so, nineteen yeah, 1962. I was born in 1962. Yeah. And it was an incredible wedding because for its time, um, from a social point of view, it was quite rare to see a black woman marrying a white guy, you know. So um, the, I think the newspapers um, came down to cover the wedding because they were like, wow, what's going on here? So the national newspapers – came down to cover the you know come come and see the wedding
0: let me you know i can say this to you you know that's uh, comparison to america the racial issue here was still very strong the apartheid
1: yeah yeah
0: down below in the south they had colored bathrooms separated from white bathrooms water fountains were separated England, I mean, look at it like this. You've all were able to accept, for example, let's talk about rock, Jimi Hendrix. Okay. Jimi Hendrix was revered in England first before he ever happened in America.
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: Okay, So, you know, I know there's a class system in England. We're all aware of this, especially when you've traveled so much to England, you, you start to grasp it, but, I noticed when I first went to England, bro, black and white relationships were more prevalent than they were here in America and in New York, no matter. In fact, I was like this. Wow. Impressed? Because I have multiracial friends. I mean, I'm half Spanish. So I can understand that, you know, it's here, even in New York, neighbors were sectioned off. Yes. And, and to see that in England it was like, yo, wow. If everybody's getting along and and the uh, let's put it like this, the uh the education level we noticed. This was the difference I really noticed in America. A lot of my black friends from England were very well educated. Very well educated. Oh, Post, yeah. My friends here, a lot of this, some of them are very well educated. Some were street guys. Doesn't make them bad guys. It's just that you noticed that I just noticed the difference. Like when you, if I was talking to one on the phone, a friend of mine, I wouldn't have even known if he was white or black because he spoke properly, didn't make any difference. So good on your parents. That's was a bold. Yeah.
1: Well, it's funny actually, because, um, being growing up in the UK, you know, as much as what you just said, that that's, uh, there's a lot of truth in that, but there were um, what we would call black areas, i.e., like Brixton right. and Arlesden, uh, you know, places like that, where there was predominantly more of a black community. Notting Hill. Um, so, you know, there was a there was you did experience racism over in the UK, um, but probably not to the extent maybe. Um, that what you had in America, which was basically apartheid. But the yeah. weird thing was, the weird thing was, you know, when my mum when my mum left Barbados um, at the time she left, very much so, um, there was a very strict order. I think in the way people were that there was a white hierarchy that were kind of running the island, you know. And when I was born. Um, not long after we went back to Barbados to live. Um, and it was a very strange experience for my father because he couldn't get any work in Barbados because the idea was, you know, they were going to go back and live there forever, <laughs> but he couldn't get any work in Barbados because basically he was married to a black woman. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And he couldn't take my mum into certain bars, even though Barbados was a black country, he couldn't take my mum into certain bars um, because um, she was black
0: So that was still frowned upon, basically Yeah, yeah, So and Barbados didn't really get Barbados, bro, that's that's predominantly black
1: Yeah, and Barbados didn't get its independence till 1966 you know, but still after 1966, there was this real kind of weird Colour thing going down in Barbados. It's only really now, when you go to Barbados, you go, yeah, Barbados is black, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and is proud of it, you know, which is fantastic.
0: So that's where the that's where the the sounds come from, brother. I get yeah. it. I'm getting it because the more I uncover with all of you guys, the more the ethnicity comes through through the music. Because I've always wondered, you know, you're hearing these tracks, and you're going, hmm. That's interesting. It's not English, you know, and it's not an English sound, but it's English in its own saying because you're English, but yet the bloodline goes to the Caribbean. And it's Yeah, a-
1: well, you know, will it go? the bloodline goes to the Caribbean. And it's funny, if you actually see a, a picture of my mother, I haven't got one here at the moment, but um, she's got this incredibly beautiful feature and she's very, very dark. Um, and it's almost, I would say, Ibu, you know, from Nigeria or something like that. She has that look, youthful look about her. So, in terms of where what's running through my veins, it's not only would you probably have the Bajan blood, but there's probably, you know, there's a lot of African going through oh there yeah. as well. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. Hell yeah.
0: Yeah, hell yeah. Of <laughs> course I can hear it in the music when you make the music. It's it's it has the influences of, of a black sound. Yeah. The chord yeah. progressions make you go, yes. Like do you just hear it? You know it's you. You know, everyone has a All right, so moving forward, grade school. Okay, so do you have you're doing this, you're record collecting.
1: Do you have any musical training to speak of? None zero zero i used to my mum bought me a drum kit um when i think i think i was about i'm trying to think now it was quite late i think it uh, probably about i was 18 19 she bought me a drum kit and i would take it downstairs to where we were living there was like a community hall and i had a friend of mine at the time gary and we used to be like ten we was in a reggae band he would play guitar and I would play the drums, um, not very well. <laughs> and then, and then, I discovered the Mattel drum machine, uh, which was kind of a very early drum machine. And I'm like, oh! So I said to Mum, "Can I sell the drum kit and get the drum machine?" And she said, "Yeah, you can do that." So I got the drum machine, and it kind of... Inspired me more to get into dance music. Can I ask you a question?
0: Is that the Mattel, the Mattel toy company we're talking about? Yeah. Was that a bluish color with yellow things on, or something like that? Do you? Uh, it had really big pads. Yes. You know, like- <laughs> <laughs> it cannot be what I think it, this thing is, right? so, I to,
1: so I rigged up. So I rigged up my. I rigged up my stereo, or rigged I up the drum much. machine for the stereo. And I was just recording <laughs> me just bashing beats out, <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> but uh, it's really funny. Uh, you know, I used to um, I used to practice my Mattel drum machine to um, Gil Scott Heron records because I was a huge fan of uh, Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson. No way, dude! So all the old tunes, you know, i have been listening to. You know all all the, old, all the all their old albums on Arista and that and that was my thing. You know I'd just be pra- practicing away to this to their stuff. So if anything, if, if people say to me now, "What do you play?" I always say I play percussion, which is pretty true, really. You know, but on a computer, <laughs> you, you manipulate. Yeah, I mean I, I, I manipulate. I mean I use I use machine. NPC um, SP twelve hundred, you know. Oh,
0: let's go like back. So we're at Mattel. Mm. <laughs> we are at Mattel level, and you're breaking. <laughs> Scott Heron and his partner are your teachers.
1: <laughs> That's some good. That's my, that that was my thing. Yeah, that was my thing. I used, to, I used to I used to believe I was in I was in the in the uh, the Midnight Band, which was. Of the band, no, I, I thought I was in the band, yeah <laughs> I'm sure I must have Walked around and told a few lies Yeah, I'm in the Midnight Band With, you know, Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson I wasn't, at all <laughs> <laughs> you are. Phonetically But
0: realistically <laughs> Another thing Because so, oh. you know, I'm just going to laugh A little bit, back in the day I remember everybody Had these Organs in their house. Yes. And next to the organ, they had the rhythm machine. Yes. You remember yeah. the rhythm machine? And the rhythm machine would have bossa nova. Yeah. Disco. Samba. Yeah. <laughs> samba. Yeah. And all these different and, and I remember going to people's houses and just listening to the rhythm machine.
1: They were whack. If you listen to them now, it's whack, but it was, it was cutting edge at that time. It was, it was. Well, it's very interesting you say that, Lenny, because my, my dad's side of the family, um, were all musical. Uh, and they had a band, uh, they had a band called the Reflections. Um, and my, all my cousins, my uncles, everyone was in this band. Uh, and when I was young, my mum and dad used to take me to go and see them live and they would be doing like cover versions of older rock and roll songs, you know, like Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison and all these characters, you know, that they would, they'll be playing all the cover versions and it was fascinating. And they got onto, um, they got onto national television because there was a, there was a program called Opportunity Knox uh which was presented by a Canadian guy called Huey Green. And yeah, all my family got on there, but they didn't win the final. They didn't win the final. Which is a real shame. But no, but they they were a big influence on me. Especially my cousin uh my cousin Jonathan. Oh, sorry, leaning the wrong way there. My cousin Jonathan
0: where you are, stay centered.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my cousin my cousin Jonathan, he's a incredible guitarist. Um but he uh, he was doing a little bit, before lockdown, he was backing people like, you know, Cliff Richard uh, on their live tours, etc. Yeah, it's amazing. He's like Carlos Santana. He's incredible. Yeah.
0: So yeah. you do have a lot of things around, a lot of people around you that are instrument, you know, uh, music have musicality written all over them. They're doing it. And you are not even yeah. have- You have to take a like a like a bird's eye look at the whole situation. You would say, Man, you do have a lot of people that were using you to go that direction.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Mind you, remember, you didn't have social media, you had four channels, two radio stations. What the hell else were we doing?
1: Going out.
0: (laughs) I I wanted to do music. This is a hot commodity to be part of the music thing. It was like, yo
1: music is the way forward right yes it was and uh, you know i where when i used to, I, used to, I used to live in um an area just outside of central london called harrow now harrow was a very unique place because it had a lot of clubs like clubs you can go out um, It had a place called the co-op disco which is my first disco i ever went to what and year it, was that, brother? Uh, I probably would have been sixteen, so that would have been. Uh, I'm just trying to think now. 1973, probably 19. No, sorry, no, not no, 1973. No, no. 1978, 1977, 78. Sorry, I'm getting confused. So um, I used to go there, um, and it was above a funeral parlour. <laughs> it's disco. <laughs> So basically, the people dying to meet
0: you—is this is what this, this was the motto? The disco people are dying to meet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we used to. But the, the co-op disco was so influential because the the guy, the guy that ran it, well, the guy that had the sound system in there was he was a white guy, um, and the sound system was funny enough called Channel One. Now whether he had named it after a reggae label, I don't know. Probably did. Because there was a there was a reggae label called Channel One as well, Um, but um, you know he used to play some crazy music in there. Like one minute you'd be dancing to Elton John, Philadelphia Freedom, uh, and then the next thing you'd be dropping I don't know some beautiful soul music, bit of reggae, and but you'd get lots of disco. So you'd hear things like for the first time, you know, brass construction. and then mass production. Welcome to our world. Um, all these things we, we were, yeah, all these things we were beginning to hear there for the first time, you know. And he was buying those. He was he was buying those records on seven inch, and playing them, you know, playing them in the club.
0: Ash, was he also grabbing the microphone in between, you know, doing the segues like all the English guys do? Academic? Absolutely. <laughs> this is non-mixing, mate. Yeah. You you're loving you. come on get your cursing on the dance all right because tony prince did it too he told me that as well, well t- yeah tony tony oh, yeah, tony, prince tony, is, uh... tony give us a reenactment what it would have been like in 1976 for you he did it
1: like, <laughs> well yeah. my wife my wife joe still does it because you know when she uh she's um comes from the whole northern soul scene oh you know? joe
0: rocks it, she goes and yeah. she gets
1: Yeah, yeah. So she's been doing doing that since '76, I think. Woo, over 40 years. It's crazy. But but I, but I had a, you know, I had a lot of lovely things that happened in Harrow. I mean, we had some incredible clubs, and all the main DJs would come to Harrow. Uh, People like Chris Hill, uh, Robbie Vincent, uh, Greg Edwards. Um, and there was a very famous, um, record shop called the Rainer's Lane Record and Disco Center. And if you wanted to go and get your American imports, that's the place, that's the place you went to.
0: Made your way there, right?
1: Yes. And then at the age of 16, my dad bought me my first ever, um, DJ console, mobile DJ console, so I could start doing parties. Was so it this,
0: the Citronic like, system? What was it? What was it, that? Yes, it was. It was a Citronic. <laughs> <laughs> was it, oh, the, the, my God. It was Michael Gray, the same thing. He had the same set. Of the, I think it was Citronic. What, and I went, what was this? Like, a, like just like pay one price and
1: get the kit. Yeah, yeah. It was belt drive. It was a belt drive you Citronic. Lights. Yeah, and you had the lights, right? The lights. You didn't have to plug in the lights. You just put the lights on top of the speakers and the vibration would make the lights flash. <laughs> you could, you've never seen anything like it. <laughs> All you did, mate, Was your tuxedo and bow tie. And you <laughs> and <you started laughs> I never, I never wore a, a tuxedo and bow tie, but I used to dress very smart when I first, you know, started doing my first gigs. Definitely. Yeah. But we had, we had that. And then we had enough, we had a club as well called the, um, St. Gabriel's Youth Club um that was on a Sunday um and I met a lot of really cool people there a lot of, ke- a lot of people that started to go into London um you know to the dance clubs etc um so it was it was um, a real kind of learning curve I think um yeah you know from when we used to go to St. Gabriel's Youth Club we had um Funny enough, at St. Gabriel's Youth Club, one of the guys that used to run it was the UK president of the Earth Wind and Fire Fan Club. And his name was Brian. <laughs> Brian
0: from the Earth, Wind and Fire Fan Club at
1: the same yeah. time. Youth set youths. Youth. Yeah, exactly. So we had we had a lot of, you know, we had a lot of real cool black music to listen to, you know, I mean, you know, I, I when I was was growing up in Harrow, it's where I went, I, I swear I met um, the original, one of the original members of the black science orchestra, which was Rob Mello. He was living in Harrow at the time because I was going out with his sister. So, um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was, so we had that, we had that early connection going on anyway, you know, and I think later on, when you think about oh, wait, it. Before, you go, before
0: what, you go there, if you were going out in 78, what was your gear? What, what kind of gear were you wearing? Like, you know, were you wearing Fiorucci like, like they were wearing?
1: Yeah, well, we had we had that. We had like, um, you know, like Fiorucci jeans. We had cap sleeve T-shirts, leg warmers, which is like, you know, what you'd wear over your jeans. Yep. I mean, we had carpenter jeans. Um, carpenter jeans were big, Yeah, plastic sandals, um, Chelsea Chelsea kind of suede. uh, They're called Chelsea boots, but they were like a suede boot. Um, We had roller skates. We had everything going on, man. We had had so much, like, crazy gear going on. We had, like, fringed, you know, fringed uh, Native American jackets. That was a big thing. Everyone wanted one of them, Uh, and we were rocking it. We were rocking it, man properly right but it, yeah but there was a there was a huge there was a huge um roller disco as well at the uh, the harrow leisure center so we always we always used to go to the roller disco and uh, do our thing you know just skating around to like crown heights affair and all that stuff man loved it slave slave were huge such a big band
0: Moving forward now, you've got your Syntronic set up and you think you're the man. And you're working, <laughs> way, working your way up the ladder because we all thought that when we got our shit. You know how it is. It's just like, yo, I got my kit. But, and what happens? Take us
1: on that trip. Go ahead. Well, you know, it's really funny because, like I said, growing up in Harrow, you had the two worlds we were operating in. Now, one of them was being a soul boy. Okay. And the soul boy is obviously a man that loves his soul music, goes out to the clubs, etc. But on the other hand, you had to be into your reggae as well. And that was a big thing in Harrah as well. So the whole reggae thing, you had the sound systems, you know, which was a big part of black music culture in the UK. You know, at the time when we were growing up, sound systems were the bomb. That's what you had to do. So, you know, the, the, your thing really you wanted to do was to get in on a sound system. And, you know, I became a, what they called a box boy. Now a box boy is someone yeah, just that. could have heard that. What's a box boy. You carry in the speakers. That's <laughs> your thing. So, you know, like the, 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 the huge speakers that the sound systems had, you had the big 18 inch speakers, you know, and they were huge. These things were made out of wardrobes, you know? So our job was to, carry those boxes into the dance, into the dance halls. Right. and, and help, you know, would help set up. And you know, whole reason you became a box boy half the time was that you could get into the dance for free. <laughs> well, what a what a, a sweat that was, huh? Yeah, an absolute sweat. So I I, I became a, a bit of a, a follower and a box boy for um, a sound system from Wembley, which is just outside of Harrow. Uh, They were called Stateside.